2006, CBAM, Centre for International Business and Management, board member Jonathan Garner, predicted the current world crisis, which it then debated at its 2008 Global Finance Symposium. Now, Dr Christos Patelis, director of CBAM, invited members back to celebrate its 15th birthday at a global business symposium entitled The New World Order after the crisis. Well, my feeling is that we do need to devise a new governance structure for the whole world. Uh, I'm not really sure it's going to happen, but it would be nice if it happens. For the past many years, we experienced a sustained uh, growth that has created the impression that we have done away with the cycle that we had done away with any economic difficulties and it could be always doing well and be uh, business as usual. I mean, this recent crisis uh, showed us that that was not the case, that the crisis is here to stay, the cycle is here to stay, and that uh, a number of institutions and regulatory structures and incentive structures and even moral foundations of the society that they should be in place for this either not to happen or at least to be moderated and not lead to this hardship that we many people are experiencing now. CBAM gets policymakers, business and academia to interact and exchange views and ideas. That exchange of knowledge and mutuality will be key to ensuring our joint futures are amicable in a new global world order where competition takes place within proper frameworks of governance and regulation that are up to the job. Well, corporate governance is part of the solution. It's also part of the problem because by the very belief that Problems, all problems can be addressed through the corporate sector is totally misguided and one-sided. Enlightened corporate governance can certainly be of help, but we all know that enlightenment is a, in a very short supply. People, given the opportunity, they will pursue their own self-interest. In this context, part of what we have done at the conference is to organize a panel that looks not only on corporate governance, but also on public governance and also on supranational governance. In addition to this, we had a very good presentation by Hermann Hauser on how the private sector, that is corporate governance, and the public sector can get together to produce some sort of intermediary organizations that can address problems of national and international competitiveness, that is sustainable global value creation. So we need all three and possibly more. We also need supranational governance for sustainable global value creation. Sir David Walker, senior advisor Morgan Stanley, says improving corporate governance alongside better regulation will help the global company create trust and succeed in the future. As the world has globalised in terms of trade flows, capital flows, technology flows, the ability of individual governments to determine what happens within their economy, to determine their 
own economic performance is much more dependent on what's happening internationally. Uh, in that situation, the role of the major global corporation, many of which have grown hugely bigger over the last couple of decades, has become almost in some cases to rival the power and influence of national governments. I don't see this as necessarily a healthy competition. It's a fact of life. And so governments which are democratically elected are right to be attentive to how these major corporations are governed and how they're run and what their accountabilities are. Sir David, who led the government's recent Walker review into the corporate governance of banks after the 2009 crash, wants to see further changes. The, the proposition is that the, it's for the chief executive to, to make proposals to his board, elected by the owners, uh, as to how the business uh, should approach a new strategy, an acquisition, a new geography, a new trading system. The board should then consider that very carefully. That is what the board is there for, should review the strategy, should examine it, should test it, should challenge it. At the end of that process, the board should come to a view that it supports the executive proposition or supports it conditionally, that it's introduced either slower or faster or with some modification, and then the executive is fully empowered to implement it. And that's the right sequence and is sadly a sequence that was not achieved in some of the major financial institutions that got into difficulty in the last few years. The importance of global corporate governance was first highlighted in the influential Cadbury report, the financial aspects of corporate governance 1992, chaired by Sir Adrian Cadbury. He's just made a gift of those papers to the Cambridge Judge Business School. Sir Adrian. Yes, um, a very good reason for donating all my papers, uh, not just to um, actually clear my own files, but although that was helpful, um, was because in a mysterious way, the official files uh, of this committee have disappeared. So there is no official record of a committee which was set up in 1991 um, to really to um, report on how to improve financial reporting and restore confidence in the reliability of the accounts of UK companies. But in the sort of way these things happen, we had hardly started work uh, in May uh, 1991 uh, as a committee, when um, uh, Mr. Robert Maxwell's empire collapsed. And when it collapsed, all kinds of very uh, uh, worrying and uh, disturbing <laughs> and disgraceful things uh, became clear about the way the board had not worked. And so this committee, which had started looking at the issue of financial reporting, um, really, in a sense, took on a new lease of life because the problem with the reporting, the problem with Maxwell, was the conduct of the board. So, therefore, we ended up with a code of best practice which was primarily aimed to um, listed companies, i.e. listed on the stock exchange, but we said we believed that all companies 
would do well to look at our recommendations uh, and see whether some of them applied to them. All the papers are fully available online with unrestricted access. Sir Adrian has worked closely with Cambridge Judge Business School staff to ensure his papers are kept safely. He even helped carry them into the building. Really what the, what the, the, the archive does, I think, is simply to explain the origins of um, the, the first major code of best practice for boards of directors for how businesses should be run and in whose interests. And from there, that idea spread not only to a number of other countries, but also to international institutions like the uh, IMF and the World Bank and the OECD in particular. Uh, and therefore, there is for researchers, I think, interest uh, in tracing those links. As the new Conservative government wins plaudits for its 60 billion of cuts to the public sector deficit in Britain, the challenges facing public sector policymakers are substantial. A rebalancing of the UK economy is essential. Ken Warwick is Director of Analysis, the Department for Business, Innovation and Skills. I think there's a pretty good likelihood. Um, I, in my presentation, I put forward the forecast from the Office of Budget Responsibility, which is a new institution that's been set up by the Chancellor. And they've got a forecast uh, of growth uh, this year of 1.2%, next year 2.3%. Uh, that forecast is slightly less than their forecast from before the uh, budget, but not hugely. It's 0.1 down for this year, 0.3 down for next year. And they produced a nice fine fan chart following the Bank of England's analysis, and that shows the probability of being in growth next year, and that's, uh, that's, that's pretty high on their forecast. So not if, but when will the economy recover from the longest and deepest recession in the post-war period? For that to happen, the UK needs to take advantage of its skills and innovations to allow UK firms to compete on the basis of high-quality goods and services. Warwick again. Well, it's, uh, if you compare us first with, uh, with the European uh, area, in particular the Eurozone itself, uh, the forecast growth rates for the UK are rather higher than the, than the Euro area. And obviously the Euro area has been through a difficult period with the issue over Greece's debt position. And the growth forecast in that area is, is, is pretty sluggish. So I think by comparison with, with them, uh, our prospects look pretty good. Um, there are other parts of the world which are growing much more strongly, which were not affected as much by the financial crash and the downturn. Uh, particularly in the Far East, and it's good that these economies are growing strongly because that's giving a potential source of dynamism and growth in the world economy, uh, which will help our export and net trade position, which we need to improve if we're going to get the kind of growth that has that, that been forecast. Unfettered globalisation helped create the crash, and now austerity is the new buzzword. New rules and institutions are needed to make global economics and financial governance work properly, says George Magnus, senior economic advisor, UBS Investment Bank. This is really about the structure of trading relationships between 
all of the various different parts of the world, those countries that run big surpluses and those countries that run big deficits, and the changes in economic behaviour which they are taking and which may serve to exacerbate those imbalances. The problem with imbalances is that they can give rise to great periods of financial stress and turbulence, such as the crisis that erupted in 2008. And do you think we should have seen that crisis? Indeed, CBAM says that it did see that crisis. I think it was well spoken about, shall I say. I mean, the, the Bank of International Settlements, the International Monetary Fund, um, I'm sure a lot of you know professors and independent economists, actually even economists like myself working in investment banks, actually saw subprime housing as something more than just an esoteric problem. It was a, um, <clears throat> just a part of a huge problem of what later became known as structured credit in the banking system. So I, I think it was seen, um, it was anticipated. There were a few economists and a few inst you know, institutions that actually got their timing right too. But the trouble is that nobody was very interested because it would have taken a huge mindset change uh, for politicians and for bankers and for people in authority to basically uh, you know, blow the whistle on the party, so to speak. So uh, that was in, against human nature to do that. So as Chuck Prince, you know, who was the uh, former head of Citibank, once said um, that uh, a lot of people saw the issues, but uh, you know, nobody wanted to be the first to leave the dance floor. The imbalance in the world's finances with the West in debt and the Chinese and Asian economies saving will create discord. But if the US and China can sort out their misunderstandings, there's hope of a solution. New rules and financial governance will help. Magnus again. Very much so. I, I think, um, I mean, it, it's, I suppose historically it is natural uh, when things go bad and times become hard. Uh, there's a tendency to kind of to withdraw, to think a little bit more in a sort of an autarkic sense about what's going on in a nationalistic sense, when actually what you want is, to, to use the cliche, you want people to think outside the box and say, we need to rethink the way that we approach these problems. But, but actually there is no magic bullet solution, is there? There may be a long road, which is just incremental change and shared goals. Possibly. I think the, the, the benign outlook would be that actually there is sufficiently high level of interdependence between nation states that, that this kind of incremental and muddling through will we'll get there in the end. I wonder whether, and I know this is slightly controversial, but I wonder whether actually you can't really build a new uh, world order, which has been the subject of this symposium, whether you can't actually build a new world order without having a benign global hegemon. Um, so, you know, we had uh, Bretton Woods worked because we had American and British leadership. Uh, the World Trade Organization and its predecessor, the GATT, worked because we had leadership from the United States and Western Europe. Uh, the banking crisis solutions actually worked in the end because Gordon Brown, um, bless his cotton socks, uh, actually decided to basically go out on a limb and say, we've got to do something incredibly radical here, which everybody followed. So, I think that this kind of muddling through is the best we can hope for, but I still think it requires strong leadership from somebody or from a country, and I think the United States is the obvious uh, country, if it wants to engage, um, which I think uh, can put this together, but I, I wouldn't say this is around the corner. That's the United States and China. I should say the United States and China.